What a blessing it is to be together on this Lord's Day. And we will be looking at some ancient words, um, words that were, some, thank you, words that were penned, well, we don't know exactly, but certainly the setting is about the 8th century BC, so 2,800 years old, are the events that we'll be looking at today. The title of the message is God's Justice Against Covetous, the Covetous and Murderers. And today we're going to see two primary themes that I want you to look out for. One is the danger of covetousness. And the other is political corruptness is all around us and nothing new. Um, We can probably turn on CNN and see that there's corrupt things being accused and actual events that did happen and some that are being lied about and denied. But don't worry, this isn't a political message per se. But what I do want to show you is that there's nothing new under the sun with the events that we see going on around us. Perhaps out of the Ten Commandments, uh, covetousness is something that we can more easily sort of push aside. I'm not really breaking God's law. I mean, I can justify it as a, a good desire, for example. Well, listen to this definition. An intense, this is what covetousness is, an intense wish-filled desire that may manifest itself in various actions, good or bad, depending upon the object of the affection and the intentions of the one in whom the desire burns. Such desires can take forms of envy and jealousy nurtured in the absence of faith and God's provision. In other words, these desires usually come about a denying of God's goodness to us and how he has been good to us. It it comes from not being content with what God has provided for us. But then also, we're looking at the days of Ahab as we continue our series in the life of Elijah. We see social injustice is nothing new under the sun. It certainly took place, and and these days, today, we're going to see sins of covetousness, the love of money, forgery, lying, perjury, theft, murder, all of that's wrapped up into this one chapter. And it's amazing, and you think, wow, well, all that's still around us today. Reality is, is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is true. No one can serve two masters For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Well, we live in days of national darkness, much like in the days of Ahab, as we've been considering the life of Elijah these last eight weeks or so. Um, We see even uh, today, we can tend to be depressed and give up hope. Some maybe before the election, (laughs) and some maybe after the election, but we can fall into this hopelessness and a, and a, and a reality that, that the governments can't save us. We can despair as we look around, even in our own country, founded upon freedoms, that now the very First Amendment is being threatened, right? I mean, it's amazing. You know, you see that. You see millions of innocent babies being put to death. They call it tissue. The idolatry of pleasure and sexual perversion now taking on new forms like like we wouldn't have imagined 10 years ago. I think I'm a girl today. No, I'm a boy. I think I'm going to put on lipstick or whatever. And, And this wicked perversion that in many cases is endorsed by the government. But also you think of Christians and the persecution that's taken place around the world. Those being tortured for simply having faith in Jesus Christ. 
And some estimates are that 70 million Christians have been killed in the history of the church and 45 million in the last hundred years. But yet we can say, oh, that doesn't include us. I mean, we have our freedoms. No one would ever do that to us. But while fellow believers who, if you're a Christian, you'll spend eternity with, have suffered immensely under the hands of cruel governments. There are few memorials for them on this earth, but I assure you they are remembered in heaven. Hundreds of thousands of names remain forgotten and faceless and nameless. Well, today, just as we think that the persecutors are winning the battle, that corrupt governments can win the battle, we need to be assured that a sovereign God is in control As we have seen throughout our study, God is weaving together all of the events for His purpose and for His own glory. God has already planned a day of judgment. He does not wink at sin. Every sin will be punished. Nothing goes unnoticed by the Lord. He sees all. Judgment is sure for those that will not repent. Well, very briefly, just the context of our study Back in 1 Kings 16, about five, six chapters ago, Elijah is called and sent to stand up against the religious apostasy of Israel, the northern kingdom. Under King Ahab and his sidekick, his wife, wicked Queen Jezebel, who we'll see today, have endorsed all manner of idolatrous worship in addition to worshiping Yahweh, bringing in the Asherahs and all of these things, the Baal worship. Elijah declares, under God's direction, there will be no rain for three and a half years, or except by my word, it's three and a half years. There's a contest. God, he prays to God. God pours out fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice in front of thousands of Israel, in in front of all the, the false prophets who were killed. And then, of course, he prays and rain comes, a display of God's faithfulness to his people But there's a death threat on Elijah in chapter 19. We saw this the last two times that Queen Jezebel says, if I do not do to you by tomorrow this time what you did to my prophets, you know, that I will do to you. Um, And so uh, he runs, he's afraid, but really what God does is he ministers to him. He he restores his, his calling and sends him back. He's restored. And it's a picture we looked at last week of how God is pleased to use broken and frail people. That you don't have to be the superhero Christian, you know, in order to be used of God. But God is pleased to use those who are weak. Well, with that, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. And we're going to read together uh, the entire chapter. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Now it came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close to my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than than it in its place. And if you like, I will give you a price of it for money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house, sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. And he said, I am not 
I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed, he turned away his face, and he ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen and that you're not eating food? Well, he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, You cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles, uh, who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she she sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him. And the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside of the city, and they stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose and went down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down, and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where where he has gone to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, If the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he said, I have found you, because you sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the sound of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also he has... Has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. And the one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of the heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, enticed him. He acted very abominably in in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. 
And it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and he went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house and in his son's days. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we ask that you would speak to us this day. Lord, we want to glean what you have for us in this passage. We thank you, Lord, that it is certainly a reminder that you are sovereign no matter what happens in this world and even the events of which we have just read. So, Lord, be with us. Send the Holy Spirit. Give us understanding and insight. Lord, move powerfully among us for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might have noticed that we're skipping over chapter 20 here because we're just looking at the high points in the life of Elijah. But it is interesting that chapter 20, um, you see more of the failure of Ahab. He makes an ungodly alliance with Syria, and his spineless leadership leads ultimately to his doom. But we also see that God's word is clear, and the devastating effects of idolatry of which Ahab was most guilty of What and how we worship shapes the kind of people that we become. What you worship shapes the kind of person that you are. Psalm 115, remember it says that the idols are speechless and blind and deaf and powerless compared to the Lord. And those who make them will become what? Like them. Empty. No substance whatsoever. Israel's prophets show the connection between the false false worship and social injustice. In Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks of the progression of this ungodliness, of which we're somewhat familiar. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of a corruptible man. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they embraced all this sexual perversion. And what does it say? Three times, God gave them over. God gave them over. And you see, ultimately, what flows at the end of Romans 1 is social chaos. And that's essentially how Ahab's career could be described, as he's plunged into more and more wickedness. Well, we're going to consider this text four somewhat brief points. We're going to walk through this. We're going to see that the wicked are greedy and cruel. That's pretty obvious if you were paying attention. Secondly, that the righteous do suffer. But thirdly, that God's justice prevails. And lastly, the incredible, um, undeserved mercy mercy of God to the undeserved. So first of all, verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4, Ahab covets his neighbor's property Naboth's vineyard is right next door. This is Ahab's summer palace in Jezreel. Um, Perhaps Naboth was one of those 7,000 of which God had told Elijah that either 7,000 that have not bowed the knee, and he's one of the righteous ones that will not be persuaded by money to sell the vineyard. It's the same king that, uh, the same king, Ahab, who 
who who Elijah confronted, and he witnessed fire come down from heaven. He witnessed rain after the drought and all of the death and the death of cattle and all that and all of the rain, and now he's still up to no good. Now you might ask, well, why didn't this fellow Naboth just sell the vineyard? Why didn't he? Why did he want to play hardball with the king? Well, if you know your Old Testament, for example, in Leviticus 25, 23, it says, the land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. And so he remembers that just as there was promised land to Abraham, and as he went in, and then Moses went in, and as they're rescued from Egypt, and they go into the promised land, the land is divided into the 12 tribes. Numbers 36, 7. Thus no inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from tribe to tribe, for the sons of Israel shall each hold the inheritance of the tribe of their fathers. And so the Lord is fulfilling the Abrahamic promise that he had made with him in regards to the land. And so in a sense, Naboth says, my conscience is not for sale. I serve Yahweh, the living God, and I will not compromise. I will not fear those who kill the body and who are unable to kill the soul, but I will fear him who is able to throw both body and soul in hell. This is a man, brethren, that has convictions, convictions based upon the word of God, and he would not compromise. The land, of course, is a perpetual reminder of the national redemption that was brought out when they were in bondage in Egypt. They're rescued from the bondage and they're given the promised land. So as one commentator said, Ahab is like a David, seizing what is dear dear to his neighbor and arranging for his neighbor's death. He's like a Cain attacking a brother in Israel. He's like Adam that takes possession of the forbidden fruit of another's vineyard. Well, notice he wants it for a vegetable garden. That's kind of odd, isn't it? You might say, you know, vegetable gardens only mentioned one other time in the, in the Pentateuch, and it's actually Deuteronomy 11. The land in which you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. You see, there's a contrast to a vegetable garden which takes much labor, contrasted to a promised land with a vineyard in which God blesses and provides. And so it's almost as though Ahab wants to return to the former slavery of which Israel knew all too well. Well, verse 4, you have this, this scene where he's sullen and vexed and pouting. It's just, it's just hilarious. You know, his face is to the wall. He's, he's kind of pouty, laying on his bed there. Uh, he's in one of his moods. And, and actually, if you look up in verse, chapter 20 and verse 43, the last verse in the previous chapter, <clears throat> because of some of the events that happened there, it says, So the king went to his house, sullen and vexed, and he came to Samaria. So this is, this is a, a common thing that he falls into. And this scene, as ridiculous as it is, it reveals Ahab's covetous, idolatrous heart. He would not be satisfied in all of the things of the king's palaces that he has and all of the possessions. He wants something more. And, it's a, and it throws him into a, a hissy, as it were. 
His desire had been elevated to idol status. It's like that eight-year-old in the store that you, you know, sometimes we see that acts like a two-year-old because his mother won't give him a candy bar and he's just pitching a fit and you're thinking, what is wrong with that situation? Some of you children, when you pout, you know, you're like, you're being like wicked King Ahab. We should not pout. We should submit to God in his perfect providence for us. Listen to Matthew Henry. He says, His proud spirit aggravated the indignity of Naboth, did him in denying him as a thing not to be suffered. He cursed the squeamish of Naboth's conscience, nor could he bear the disappointment. It had cut him to the heart to be crossed in his desires, and he was perfectly sick with vexation. He goes on to say, discontent is a sin of its own punishment and makes men torment themselves. It makes the spirit sad. It makes the body sick. All the enjoyment sour. It is a heaviness on the heart and a rottenness in the bones. Now, isn't that a good description of being discontent? You know, because you desire something so much that you will not be satisfied and content with what God has provided for you. Maybe it's a different wife. Maybe it's a desiring a wife. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's a better career. Any number of things, but rather than being content with your lot, as we're told again and again in the Word of God. Well, that's we see the wicked, uh, greedy, cruel King Ahab. Well, verses 5 to 16, we need to be reminded that the righteous often suffer at the hands of the wicked. And they often suffer at the hands of the wicked, as we've seen even here. You've got governments, rebels, those who hate God, and so the righteous suffer. And Jezebel challenges Ahab's despondency in verses 5 to 7. Remember, she comes in, why are you so sullen? What's going on in here? What's wrong with you? You know, and, and basically, as Ahab describes it, he misquotes Naboth. I don't know if you caught that. He misquotes him in verse 6 and says, that he said, I will not give you my vineyard. But <clears throat> it's almost as though Jezebel comes in and says, are you a king or a wimp? Why are you laying there like that? You're the king of Israel. You can do anything you want. And so she takes matters into her own hands. Proverbs twenty-eight fifteen: like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is the wicked ruler over a poor people. Isn't that... That pretty much describes most dictatorships and so forth, right? Like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is the wicked ruler over a poor people. Well, Jezebel devises this elaborate scheme of, you know, a plot to frame Naboth and to have him murdered and all of that. And, you know, what is it? The Psalms, I think Psalm 1 of the 40s says that the wicked devise wicked plans on their bed. They lay awake at night devising things. Psalm uh, 64 says, they plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. And that's like Jezebel. She's schemed up. She's got this plan. I'll get false witnesses. I'll, I'll, I'll get two worthless men, so to speak. In other words, easy guys to buy off, you know, go down to the bad part of town and offer them 50 bucks each. Sure, they'll testify. But what's interesting here is, is the beginning part, in order for them to declare a fast, they had, he, she had to persuade the nobles and the elders. These are the highly respected people of the community. And even they were crooked and could be bought off, as it were. Even for us, unjust, 
We see injustice even in our governments and the various things that are shoved down our throats. The, the, you know, it was the gay marriage thing at first, and then, then it's attacking the businesses, right? And you know, the whole wedding cake thing, the, the couple in Oregon that still, to my knowledge, is still out all of their life savings because of being sued for not making a wedding cake for two lesbians. Likewise, you have the bed and breakfast examples and others, and now they've come after the, the Christian universities. Of course, by God's grace, that was set aside for a year here in California, uh, but, but they're not done. And next is going to be the churches, to censor the churches. The government has an agenda that is unrighteous. And so here in verse 10, to seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him, saying, he cursed God and the king, right? Which would be treason, essentially. So she comes up with this plan. What a wicked, depraved woman this woman was. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah says, above all else, and is desperately sick. Who can know it? But we need to be reminded that our hearts are deceitful, especially if you're outside of Christ. If we're in Christ, we've got the heart of stone removed and a heart of flesh put in. We have a new disposition and new loves and passions and desires, but there's still the seeds of depravity within our own hearts by which we must guard and fight sin, cultivating godliness. Well, without rereading everything, they they testify, and verse 10, they take him out and they stone him. Have you ever thought of what stoning would be like? Sometimes we think, oh, you know, it's just, yeah, they threw a couple rocks and hit him in the right place. I mean, David stoned Goliath, didn't he? It was just a couple stones. Well, those were a couple... God-guided stones, right, in, in Goliath's situation. But, but to be stoned to death would involve an immense number of stones being thrown at the human body. To say that it would be a bloody mess is an understatement, but to hear the bones actually cracking, snap, 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 there goes another one. And it was the accusers who had to throw the first stones, according to the law. And so this is a brutal way of death, and in fact, it was a protection that if you're going to False, if you're going to bear false witness, well, then you're the ones that will also have blood on your hands. But they're t- notice, it's take him out and stone him to death. Jezebel takes possession of the vineyard, verses 15 to 16, when she comes and tells Ahab that, that he is dead. Ahab doesn't say, how did he die? What happened? <laughs> right? He says, I better not ask. I've been married to Jezebel long enough. It's probably not a pretty story. Doesn't even ask. Second Kings uh, 9.26 tells us that his sons were also murdered. And so as Naboth's family, as he was executed, as well as all the heirs to the vineyard were executed as well. Well, what application can we draw Where was God during this horrible injustice? Naboth is a righteous man, has convictions, biblical convictions. Well, we know that the blood of the martyrs cry out to heaven and that God hears. We know from Luke 18 that God will bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. And brethren, it is a mystery why some suffer and others don't. It's a mystery. It's not if you have a certain chromosome or if your social security number ends in an odd number or an even number. It's not that. It's a mystery under God's providence. 
Why does under Herod, wicked Herod, Jesus, the baby, escapes, but many other babies die? Under Agrippa, he murders James in Acts 12, but Peter enjoys a jailbreak and is rescued. You know, it's a mystery how God works these things out, but we know this for sure, that those that there, through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of heaven. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. So we should not find this overly shocking. We see the injustice today of hundreds of thousands of young females being kidnapped, stolen from orphanages, put and forced to do terrible things, kidnapped, trafficked, Many six, seven, eight-year-olds forced to marry Muslim men as wives. We see the injustice of all of this. And it grieves us. We hear of situations of terrible abuse, even within our own country, of parents will inflict on their blood children. The abuse that takes place, the hatred that takes place, all of these things come. It's a wickedness. It's a depraved heart. And Ahab, you see, even Ahab, just it, it's incredible. Um, his compliance to what's going on. Brethren, the martyrs have been losing their lives since the garden. Abel, right? How long, O Lord, they cry out in Revelation 6. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It says that they are given a white robe, the robe of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see all of the martyrs, Stephen and Polycarp, and all through church history, and even as we've already mentioned, the Terrible atrocities that are happening to thousands, even in our own lifetime. Well, we have to ask ourselves, is there an obvious parallel, if you haven't seen it yet, between Naboth and Christ? Christ, in a sense, is is a type here. They both have a vineyard. Israel is compared to a vineyard in Isaiah 5 and in other places. They both have a vineyard. They're both tempted to give up their inheritance. Remember, in the temptation of Christ, the devil says, all of these things I will give you if you will only but bow down to me. And here, Naboth is tempted by much riches to give up his vineyard, but he would not. Both are taken outside of the city and dealt with cruelly. Outside in stone for Naboth and, of course, to Golgotha for Christ. Both are rejected and murdered at the hands of their very enemy. Isaiah 53, by oppression and judgment he was taken. In both cases, the murderers are charged. So we'll see in verse 19 when Elijah comes on the scene, have you murdered to take possession, Ahab? God says through Elijah. But likewise, Acts 2.33, or 23, This man, delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross, he says to the Jews. So, we've seen the wicked are cruel that the righteous suffer. Thirdly, today, the Lord is faithful to intervene and bring about justice. He is faithful to do this. Verses 17 to 26, Elijah is now dispatched to the scene. 
It's, it's interesting, if you look at some of the verbs here, there's this arise and go and go down. And in verse 18, arise and go down and meet Ahab. Ahab had just arisen to go take possession of the vineyard. Now, we don't, we're not told how many years passed from the last encounter since Mount Carmel, right? We're not told how many years passed here. Some commentators think it was you know, a few years, maybe even up to seven years. We're not told how much, but probably some considerable time took place, uh, had taken place where Ahab is utterly shocked when he sees him. Go back with me to this scene as, as we've read it. It's Ahab takes possession of the vineyard. He's walking through thinking, you know, the bean sprouts will go really good here. I think the melon's over here. He's plotting how he's going to redo the entire garden. And Elijah comes on the scene suddenly in front of him, this courageous prophet dressed in camel hair. And he can't believe his eyes. Elijah, what does he call him? You, oh my enemy, have you found me, my enemy? Of course, have you murdered? Have you murdered and taken possession? What an incredible scene this is. You know, it's like Jezebel had it all figured out. She schemed everything. She was very careful that the phones weren't tapped. She, she made sure that only those that were involved in the crime would know about it, right? She, she deleted all the emails. She, she shredded the letters and all of that. She wiped the hard drive clean, as it were. But yet, the divine WikiLeaks is on the scene because God sees all. And he sees what's taking place here. And just as Ahab thinks, this is great. It's kind of nice being married to Jezebel, you know, the daughter of the, the king of the Sidonians, you know. He got his way any time. And that, it's like what Jezebel said. I saw daddy deal with people like Naboth. Let me show you how it's done, Ahab, as he's laying there sulking and crafts this plan. But it's all exposed because God exposes it just like every deed will be exposed in the last day. There's nothing that can be hidden from Almighty God. He is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all. He's everywhere. This reminds us that there's a God in heaven that sees even when we're suffering, even when we're in pain, even when we're weeping, even when we're going through the most terrible thing that we could ever picture in our minds. He is with us. And as his children, he draws near and ministers to them. Didn't we just see that with Elijah in chapter 19? He comes and he meets with him and feeds him and encourages him, does not rebuke him. Well, this is very interesting that justice is now dispensed in verse 20. Um, Have you found me? Behold, I will bring evil upon you and utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free. There's a justice that's being made. But isn't it interesting how, how Ahab says, Have you found me, O my enemy? You know, if you think about it, I mean, Jezebel is supposed to be a helpmate, right? <laughs> According to the biblical pattern. She wasn't a very good friend, was she? <laughs> she wasn't a very good helpmate at all. Not at all. But if you think about it, Elijah is really Ahab's only friend. He's the one that has demonstrated that God is alive and answered by fire. 
all of Israel bowed down and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Ahab witnessed all that. He has had opportunity after opportunity, but yet he suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. This cruel king did not realize that really Elijah is his only friend. He's the only one speaking truth into his life. He's the only one giving godly advice. A true friend is truthful and faithful. Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Elijah has found him. And he accuses him of being sold out to do wicked. God sees and brings about justice, just like he sees the atrocities that's going on in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and in North Korea and in China and many other places. He sees the atrocities. He sees how Christians are being treated, how families are being persecuted, how pastors are being murdered, how children are being raped and pillaged and sold and stolen and kidnapped and all manner of wickedness. He sees. Ahab hated Elijah, but he also feared Elijah. Matthew Henry says this, the sight of Elijah was like that handwriting on the wall to Belshazzar. It made his countenance change and his joints of his loins were loosed. And I really think it was probably something like that. He's walking around the vineyard. I've got big plans here. I'm uprooting this. I'm planning this. I've got going to put all this here. And this guy that already, I mean, just to see Elijah alone, right? But this is the one that has already had dealings with him several times. And of course, in verse 22, essentially what happens is Ahab's house will be just like that of wicked King Jeroboam and Basha. Well, our fourth point is probably the most shocking one, and that is that God extends his mercy as Ahab humbles himself. He extends his mercy as Ahab humbles himself. You you, you know, you would almost, if there were an intermission between verses 26 and 27, um, verse 26, he'd acted abominably in following idols and etc. etc. and it stopped. You, you, you'd expect that, okay, and then Ahab was killed on the scene or something, right? But that's not what happens. The complete unexpected happens, which often happens in the Word of God. Ahab is utterly humbled by the Word of Judgment, verse 27. And it came about when he heard these words. By the way, there's all kinds of nuances with Heard, heard, verse 16. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose and went down to the vineyard to take possession of it. Here, he hears these words of judgment, and he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth, and he humbles himself, and he fasted, and he lays there despondently. And you think, oh, come on, I've seen these jailhouse conversions. I've seen these outward repentances. I mean, come on, this is, this is Ahab we're talking about, right? Yeah, maybe it was an external repentance. Maybe it wasn't truly in his heart. Maybe it was something short of a true godly repentance with genuine faith in Yahweh leading to a true conversion. But like today, many people fear hell and judgment and they'll respond in a a crisis situation. But I think God's mercy is actually set on display before us here 
as hard as it is to believe, God deals in mercy with the most ruthless, wicked men. For look at the rest of the text, 28 and 29. And the word of the Lord came. Okay? This doesn't happen a whole lot. The word of the Lord came throughout the whole life of Elijah. So this means pay attention. This is from God to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but I will bring evil upon his house in his son's days. You say, well, wait a minute, is God naive? Can't God see through this phony repentance here? Well, I think that there's something worth noting to the fact that the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and it's said not once, but twice that he humbles himself before God. And because of that, he delays judgment. He doesn't cancel it upon his posterity and his family. He delays it. He postpones it. It's not a cancellation. But brethren, this is a picture that God is a God of justice, yes, but also he's a God full of mercy. Not giving you what you deserve for your heinous sins that you've committed your entire life if you're in Christ. For we know what it says in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Brethren, do you see today the wideness of God's mercy to rebel sinners? The wideness of that mercy that is available today, but someday that door will be closed and there will be no more opportunity to flee to God. What an amazing picture we have here. Ahab completely humbles himself. Well, if you go into the next chapter, actually just flip in the next chapter to verse 34, we see God's providence is perfect down to the most smallest uh, degree. Ahab teams up with Jehoshaphat to fight the battle of Aram again. Ahab thinks he can disguise himself by dressing up in Jehoshaphat's robes. And so in verse 34, now a certain man drew a, drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel in the joint of his armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, turn around, take me out of the fight, for I'm severely wounded. And the battle raged on that day, and the king propped himself up on his chariot in front of the Armenians and died at the evening, and the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. And you go down to verse 38. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the harlots bathed there also, according to the word that the Lord has spoken. So the dogs did lick up Ahab's blood. God guided this random arrow shot into the air that it goes into uh, right in the joint of the armor. He's wearing armor. He's dressed in the other king's uh, clothing, and it still gets him. It's a reminder that God is weaving together all, every single event in history, creating a gorgeous tapestry that is chaotic on the backside with threads everywhere, but on the front side it is smooth and it makes sense. The completed picture It's a reminder that he is weaving together the events of history. Well, very briefly, a couple words of application. This amazing, uh, absolutely amazing chapter 
um, all kinds of sins, uh, breaking God's law and wickedness. Well, we too live, believe it or not, uh, no matter what you think, how this country was founded, um, there's a lot of corrupt political rulers. I'm not saying every single one, and I'm not naming names. There's, you'll know them by their fruits, but there are a lot of corrupt rulers. But we as believers, brethren, are called to submit to the governing authorities. 1 Peter 2, 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or to one in authority, to governors as one sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves for God. Submit to the governing authorities. Secondly, God's people will suffer, and his providence can be unexpected. Naboth was a faithful man, and yet he's murdered in the most humiliating way, accused of a, of a there's another parallel between Christ, of false charges, accused of, them, of both of them, right? Injustice is the believer's lot in this world many times. 1 Peter 2, verse 20, but if when... If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Christians are suffering all over the world. We spent time last Lord's Day praying for the persecuted church. We know not how many days that we will enjoy before persecution is heated up. We must praise God whether he brings bitter things or sweet things into our life. Real life, trust, real faith, trust God in the midst of tragedy. Tragedy. Real faith serves God faithfully because of who he is and what he's done for us and our salvation. We need to also remember what Paul tells the Thessalonians that were suffering cruelly in chapter 1 and verse 6. And after And after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who have been afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those that do not know God and do not obey the gospel. Thirdly, we need to ask ourselves, are we clinging to idols? Are we falling into covetousness? Is there something that's been elevated to idol status in your life? Or are you finding contentment with God, with His lot for your life today? Search your heart. Examine yourself. This is the danger of living on a horizontal plane only and thinking that that the, the tinsel of this world is really the only thing I have to look forward to rather than the eternal realities that are ours in Christ. This life is passing away quickly. This life is but a vapor. Paul writes to Romans, the Romans 12.1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Ask yourself, do you treasure Christ more than your neighbor's possessions, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's career, your neighbor's whatever? Do you, vineyards, Sports, possessions, do you treasure Christ more? 
Remember, when Nathan the prophet came to David, we read it, 2 Samuel, you are the man, right, from the prophet of God. How shocking that is, right? But how much more in the day of judgment, you, my unconverted friend, when you stand before him in the very words of deity and the eyes, the, the one who it says of Christ in his glorified state, his eyes, as it were, of a flame of fire, it says, you are the man, you are guilty before me. You've broken my laws. You've spurned my goodness and my common grace. You need to wake up. Your sin will be found out. Confess it today. Come to God. Throw yourself on His mercy and confess your sin today. And while the wideness of God's mercy is available, let me assure you that there is a future day when God will right all wrongs. Judgment is coming and no one escapes The wicked will be cast into the lake of fire and the redeemed will be rescued and finally receive that Sabbath rest of which we're told in Hebrews 4. Eternal life face to face with Christ. Why? It's because Christ has paid for my sins. I don't have to answer for my own sins. But if you're not trusting Christ, you need to answer for your own sins. And and maybe you might think, well, maybe my goods outweighed the bad. But the reality is if you sin in one area of God's law, you're guilty of it all, James says. So come to Christ today, the only way of salvation. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for Elijah and his courageousness and how he stood up for the truth and was not persuaded to back down even with corrupt governments. Lord, certainly we see social justice all around us. Help us to stand up for righteousness, to minister to those that are in need. Lord, to offer a cold cup of water to the weary one, to visit the one that is in jail. Lord, we pray that you would make us a people that would be so evident to those on the outside that they would know that we've been changed by Christ. Lord, make us more like Christ. Increase our holiness. Help us to hate sin. And Lord, we pray, most of all, that you would help us to bring glory to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.